Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Just to give you a little bit of a background here in uh, Jeremiah chapter 40. If you've been following our study, you probably know already, so I don't need to share it with you. But Jerusalem has just been destroyed. Chapter 39 kind of detailed that, chronicled what happened as the Babylonians um, finally, after about 20 years of kind of just, they've, they've besieged Jerusalem, they've taken kings and people away, and it's gone back and forth and back and forth, and finally... In Jeremiah chapter 39, finally, it's, it's, that's it. You know, he's gone in there. They've destroyed the temple. They've taken all the people, uh, and they're hauling them off to uh, Babylon into exile. And so that's where we pick it up here in Jeremiah chapter 40, <clears throat> verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah. When he had taken him bound in chains among all who were carried away captive from Jerusalem and Judah, who were carried away captive to Babylon. And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God has pronounced this doom on this place. Now the Lord has brought it and has done just as he said, because you people have sinned against the Lord and not obeyed his voice. Therefore, this thing has come upon you. It's very interesting to me that the Babylonian soldier, the Babylonian captain of the guard or whatever, would have this, this insight into God punishing his people. That's, to me, it's just kind of amazing. Now, it may have been that he had heard the, the exiles, the people weeping and mourning and saying, you know, God has done this and Jeremiah prophesied this. And, and maybe he was listening to what they were saying and then he went back and repeated it to Jeremiah. Or it could have just been a revelation that they had. But I think it's pretty sad when the world rebukes the children of God for their disobedience. And I can remember a time in my life when I was not walking with the Lord and I was in a backslidden state and uh, people at that time had known that I had, you know, was a believer and then they saw me go into a backslidden state. And to get rebuked by non-believers, like, man, I thought you were a Christian and now you're doing this stuff, you know? And it's like, wow. Uh, so it's pretty sad. And anyways... So this, um, this captain, this Nebuzaradan, is saying this to Jeremiah. Verse 4, And now look, I free you this day from the chains that were on your hand. If it seems good to you, come with me to Babylon. Come, and I will look after you. But if it seems wrong for you to come with me to Babylon, remain here. See, all the land is before you. Wherever it seems good and convenient for you to go, go there. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar had heard about Jeremiah and that he had told the people, you need to just submit to the Babylonians. And uh, so when they finally conquered, Nebuchadnezzar told his captain, said, go find Jeremiah. And he's, you know, take care of him. And so this is what this guy is doing. He found Jeremiah along with the other captives. And he says, you know, hey, you can either go into Babylon, we'll take care of you, you can stay here, you can do whatever you want. And he continues and says, well, now while Jeremiah had not yet gone back, Nebuzaradan said, go back to Gedaliah, uh, Gedaliah, excuse me, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon has made governor over the cities of Judah and dwell with him among the people. Or go wherever it seems convenient for you to go. So the captain of the guard gave him rations and a gift and let him go. Then Jeremiah went to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, to Mizpah, and dwelt with him among the people who were left in the land. Verse 7. 
And when all the captains of the armies who were in the fields, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah the son of Ahikam governor in the land, and had committed to him men, women, children, and the poorest of the land, who had not been carried away captive to Babylon, then they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah, Ishmael the son of Nethaniah, Johanan and Jonathan the sons of Kariah, uh, Sariah the son of Tanhumath, the sons of Ephi, the uh, Nedophathite, and Jezaniah, the son of Amaiakathite. They and their men, and Gedaliah, the son of uh, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, took an oath before them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. As for me, I will indeed dwell at Mizpah and serve the Chaldeans who come to us. But you gather wine and summer fruit and oil, put them in your vessels, and dwell in your cities that you have taken. So, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was really a pretty shrewd uh, politician, or not a politician, a shrewd leader. I mean, he was a very smart, very wise person in the sense that, you know, he conquered Israel, taken the people captive, but he didn't like just completely wipe out and devastate the land. He kind of made it a province of Babylon, basically, and he left the poorest people in the land, and, and you know, to keep an insurrection from rising, he appointed one of their own people, one of the Jews, here, Gedaliah, to, to, to kind of be a governor of the land. So it was really smart on his behalf. And so anyway, so news pretty much spreads throughout the land that this is what's happened. And there are Jewish soldiers and their men, so there's these captains and their little armies, little bands of guys that were basically rebels that had been fighting, you know, whatever. When the Babylonians finally were so overwhelming, they had gone into hiding, basically, and they had spread out. Well, now word is back that, hey, you know, the Babylonians, for the most part, have left. Gedaliah is there. There's some people in the land. So they come out of hiding, and they come to Gedaliah there at Mizpah. And Gedaliah there assures them, hey, you know, the Chaldeans, they're not going to harm you. You're safe now. He's trying to restore order in the land as the governor under the Babylonian rule. Verse 11, Likewise, when all the Jews who were in Moab among the Ammonites in Edom and who were in all the countries heard that the king of Babylon had left the remnant of Judah, that he had set over them Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, then all the Jews returned out of all the places where they had been driven and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah at Mizpah and gathered wine and summer fruit in abundance. Moreover, Johanan the son of Kareah, and all the captains of the forces that were in the fields came to Gedaliah at Mizpah and said to him, Do you certainly know that Baalus, the king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to murder you? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, did not believe them. Then Johanan, the son of Kareah, spoke secretly to Gedaliah in Mizpah, saying, Let me go, please, and I will kill Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and no one will know it. Why should he murder you so that all the Jews who are gathered to you would be scattered and the remnant in Judah perish? But Gedaliah the son of Ahikam said to Johanan the son of Korea, You shall not do this thing, for you speak falsely concerning Ishmael. Ishmael is a character that we're introduced to in this chapter. Who was he? Well, we're told that he was the son of Nethaniah, who was the son of Elishama. And we're, find, we're told in the next couple verses that he is from the royal family. In other words, he descended from King David. He was probably very patriotic. 
He was probably anti-Babylon, maybe pro-Egypt. He probably considered Jeremiah and Baruch, who was Jeremiah's friend, uh, and Gedaliah, the governor, traitors to um, Judah. Or it could even be a little deeper than that. Being of the royal line of David, being descended of David, you know, he would probably have a, a claim to the throne. And so more likely, he was probably jealous and envious that Gedaliah was made governor instead of him. I mean, that's kind of, you know, people, it's amazing what jealousy could do uh, or what jealousy does do to people. And he's aided by the king of Ammon who hates the Jews. And uh, basically they conspire to uh, plot this assassination uh, plan for Gedaliah. And so this Johanan comes to Gedaliah. He's heard rumors of it. He says, hey, this guy's here to kill you. I'm going to take care of him. I'll, I'll rub him out. <laughs> I've watched too many movies. Anyways, um, Gedaliah dismisses the report as a vicious rumor, and he doesn't sanction the hit. I like those terms. Anyways, <laughs> So there's not going to be a hit on Ishmael. <laughs> so we get into chapter 41, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the seventh month, that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family and of the officers of the king, came with ten men to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, at Mizpah. And there they ate bread together in Mizpah. Then Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men who were with him arose and struck Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphem, with a sword, and killed him whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Ishmael also struck down all the Jews who were with him, that is, with Gedaliah at Mizpah, and the Chaldeans who were found there, the men of war. Verse 4, And it happened on the second day after he had killed Gedaliah, when as yet no one knew it, that certain men came from Shechem, from Shiloh, and from Samaria, eighty men with their beards shaved and their clothes torn, having cut themselves, with offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. Now Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, went out from Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he went along. And it happened as he met them that he said to them, Come to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. So it was, when they came into the midst of the city, that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, killed them and cast them into the midst of a pit, he and the men who were with him. But ten men were found among them who said to Ishmael, Do not kill us. For we have treasures of wheat, barley, oil, and honey in the field. So he desisted and did not kill them among their brethren. Now the pit into which Ishmael had cast all the dead bodies of the men whom he had slain because of Gedaliah was the same one Asa the king had made for fear of Baasha, king of Israel. Uh, by the way, there's, that's all we ever read about that in the Bible, so we don't know a whole lot about that pit. But anyways, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, filled it with the slain. Then Ishmael carried away captive all the rest of the people who were in Mizpah, the king's daughters and all the people who remained in Mizpah, whom Nebuzaradan and the captain of the guard had committed to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. And Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, carried them away captive and departed to go over to the Ammonites. So this Ishmael, you know, he, he, he's plotted this murder. He ends up getting Gedaliah. They, they share a meal together. And at the end of this meal, he and his men kill Gedaliah. They kill all the Jews that are with Gedaliah there at Mizpah. And they kill the, the, the remaining uh, Babylonian officers or soldiers that were there kind of to, you know, to keep the order in the land. And then the next day, there's these pilgrims. 
and they've, they've cut their beards, they're, they're, they're weeping, you know, they're grieving over the destruction of the temple. And they're coming to the temple to offer, you know, to, to pray and to mourn and to weep and stuff. And as they're coming there, get, uh, uh, Ishmael sees them and says, hey, come over here to, to get Eliah. And, and they come over, and of course he read it here, they end up murdering them except for ten, ten of them that said, hey, we got these treasures uh, you know, the, the land had been pretty much wiped out at that time. And here these guys had apparently, or at least they had claimed to have hidden stash of food and supplies. And so Ishmael doesn't kill them, you know, because he wants what they have there. So after this is accomplished, Ishmael and his men take the remaining people and they start fleeing to the land of the Ammonites. Verse 11, But when Johanan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces that were with him heard of all the evil that Ishmael the son of Nethaniah had done, they took all the men and went to fight with Ishmael the son of Nethaniah, and they found him by the great pool that is in Gibeon. So it was when all the people who were with Ishmael saw Johanan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces who were with him that they were glad. Then all the people whom Ishmael had carried away captive from Mizpah turned around and came back and went to Johanan, the son of Korea. But Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, escaped from Johanan with eight men and went to the Ammonites. Then Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were with him took from Mizpah all the rest of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, after he had murdered Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the mighty men of war and the women and the children and the eunuchs, whom he had brought back from Gibeon, and they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Chimham, which is near Bethlehem, as they went on their way to Egypt because of the Chaldeans. For they were afraid of them because Ishmael the son of Nethaniah had murdered Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, whom the king of Babylon had made governor in the land. So Johanan here, you know, they end up... Uh, getting all the people, they, they basically rescue them from Ishmael. You know, they killed a couple of his men, but the rest, Ishmael and eight of them fled. And so they take the people and all the other people that were at Mizpah, and they start heading towards Egypt. And they stop and they stay in this place called Chimham, which is near Bethlehem. And it says in the habitation of Jim, Chimham, which is kind of like a, it's like a roadside inn, basically, in those days and in that culture. And basically, they, they're there temporarily because they're on their way to Egypt. They're planning to flee to Egypt. Why? Because they're afraid of the Babylonians, because they've killed the king's man that he's put in position there. You know, although they really didn't need to fear him because they had basically, you know, rescued the people. You know, they had basically taken care of the guy who had done the murder, but for whatever reason, they've decided they're going to go to Egypt. Chapter 42, verse 1. Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan the son of Korea, Jezaniah the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let our petition be acceptable to you, and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing that we should do. I don't know if you caught that in that verse that I just read there, but notice the personal pronouns. They come to Jeremiah and they ask him to pray to the Lord your God. Jeremiah, pray to your God. Isn't that fascinating? Here they're Jews, and yet... They recognized that Jeremiah had a special relationship with the Lord. 
They revered Jeremiah in that respect. And so they asked Jeremiah to seek the Lord's will on their behalf. And I love how Jeremiah handles it there in verse 4. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard, indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words. And it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing back from you. So basically, Jeremiah says, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do this for you, but I want you to understand he's your God too. It's not just my God. And, and I like that because they didn't need to go through Jeremiah to hear a word of the Lord. You know, sometimes people come to me and they ask for advice or they ask for me to pray for them. And I certainly will pray. And, and, and if I have, you know, depending on what the, the thing that they're asking, I'll give the advice. But when it comes down to it, you don't need me to have the Lord speak to you. You have the same Holy Spirit dwelling in you that I have dwelling in me. And, and so you don't need to go through a person to hear the word of the Lord. You yourselves can seek the Lord. And I think that's what Jeremiah is trying to tell him. Hey, he's your God too. You can seek him yourselves. So they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us. If we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you, whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. I mean, this sounds very sincere. They want to hear the word of the Lord, and they said, whatever the Lord tells us, we're going to do. Verse 7. And it happened after ten days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah here has been praying for ten days, and the word of the Lord finally comes to him. You know, I, I think of my own life. How many times do I seek the Lord? You know, ten minutes is a long time for me to wait, you know, on the Lord, and uh, let alone ten days. And I wonder sometimes, you know, if we just don't wait long enough. And in our culture, of course, everything's instant. Everything's fast. You know, it's like, you're, you know, I get upset when a website doesn't come up on my handheld thing. And, you know, momentarily, it's like, what's going on with this? You know, get, uh, I can't wait. I don't have that much time. And, and yet, you know, we have to wait on the Lord. He's not uh, too concerned about download speeds and all that stuff. He. He'll speak to us when he's ready. And so Jeremiah waited for 10 days, and then the Lord did answer him. Verse 8, Then he called Johanan the son of Korea, all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people from the least, even to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If you will still remain in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down. And I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent concerning the disaster they are brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord. For I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. And I will show you mercy that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. But if you say we will not dwell in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying no, but we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, and there we will dwell. Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt, to go and dwell there, then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, 
and there you shall die. So shall it be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there. They shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. And none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, As my anger and my fury has been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt. And you shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach. And you shall see this place no more. So the word of the Lord that they were supposedly seeking was, don't go to Egypt. They're on their way heading there. They're they're traveling there. They stopped and they asked Jeremiah, what does the Lord want us to do? Here's the word of the Lord. Don't go to Egypt. Stay in the land of Israel and I'm going to build you up in the land. But if you do disobey and go to Egypt regardless, the Lord said, my fury is going to be kindled against you. Those things that you thought you were escaping by going to Egypt, they're going to come upon you in Egypt there. And then the Lord goes even further and reveals the heart of the people to Jeremiah there. Look at verse 19. The Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day, for you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray to us, or pray for us to the Lord our God. And according to all that the Lord our God says, so declare to us, and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent you by me. Now therefore know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go to dwell. So they said, you know, they're seeking the counsel regarding the Lord's will. And they said, whatever the Lord says, we're going to do. But all along... And God reveals their hearts. All along, they had no intention of actually following His counsel. They basically wanted God to sign off on their plans. And that's so, so common with human nature, you know. When God, you know, we want to seek God's will, but when He tells us or when we go to counsel, we seek counsel and, and the counsel is not what we want to hear. We, it's like, no, I'm not going to listen to it. And we do our own thing. Because, you know, we already know what we want to do. We just really want God's blessing on what we've already decided what we're going to do. And that's what was going on with the people there. And God called their bluff because He knows their hearts. Chapter 43, verse 1. Now it happened when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people all the words of the Lord, uh, their God, for which the Lord God had sent to them, all those words that Azariah the son of Hoshiah, Johanan the son of Korea, and all the proud men spoke, saying to Jeremiah, You speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, Do not go to Egypt to dwell there. But Baruch the son of Neriah has sent you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they may put us to death or carry us away captive to Babylon. Now Baruch was Jeremiah's scribe. He's the one that actually recorded these prophecies. He's the one that Jeremiah would say, hey, the Lord told me this, and and Baruch would write it down. And he was Jeremiah's friend, probably one of his only friends besides Gedaliah there in the land. And here you could just see the picture. Here Baruch is standing next to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is talking to the people, and they go, Baruch set you. And he's like, what? I was just standing here. I didn't even say anything. But he's accused of of, uh, 
of, of, making, of having Jeremiah say these things. Verse 4. So Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces, and all the people would not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to dwell in the land of Judah from all nations where they had been driven, men, women, children, the king's daughters, and every person who Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. So they went to the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they went as far as Tapanes. I thought it was Tapanes, but spelled differently, Tapanes. So they basically take all the people... They force Baruch and Jeremiah, they basically kidnap them and take them with them, and they take everybody and they head to Egypt. And they end up in this town called Tapanes. Now, if you've been around here in Calvary Chapel for any length of time and we've done Bible studies, I've shared over the time, you know, symbolically, whenever you start studying about Egypt, Egypt is a symbol in the Bible of the world. Now, it was a, this is a true story. This, you know, Egypt's a, a real nation. They exist today, of, of course. And, um, but there's a, there's a parallel symbolism. And the symbolism is that uh, Egypt is a picture of the world. It's a picture, and what I mean by that is it's a picture of your life before Christ. When you were fall, living in bondage to sin and you were following after the lusts of the flesh. Um, and so... If Egypt is a symbol of the world, then the promised land or the land of Canaan or Israel is a symbol of the believer's life after salvation. In other words, you're in my walk with the Lord. And, you know, Jesus in his parable of the sower and the seed in the New Testament, he talks about those who, you know, they they accept the word of the Lord eagerly. And then things get tough and persecution arises and, you know, they fall back into the world. And really, this is what we're seeing happening with the children of Israel here. You know, it's interesting. God had no difficulty. You know, you think of the plagues and all the things, how he miraculously brought them. You know, he spread the, the, uh, the Red Sea or the, so that the children of Israel could cross. I mean, the miracles, how he brought them out of the land of Egypt. But, you know, it was easy for God to do those miracles, to bring the people out of the land of Egypt. But it was hard to get Egypt out of the people. Because they always wanted to go back. They always wanted to go back to that old life in Egypt. And it's true of believers too. You know, we're saved from our sins. We've got this new walk in the Lord and we have salvation. We have heaven promised to us. And, you know, we have this great life. But there's that temptation to go back to the world so often. And when things get tough as a believer, it's like, man... This is hard serving the Lord. It's hard living the right life and, and, and saying no to sin. And so often we give up and we, we go back. That city, Tophanes, interesting. It was only 10 miles across the border. It was basically on the frontier between Egypt and Israel. So here you get this picture. The children of Israel, they're in Egypt. They're in this town, but they can see the promised land. I mean, they're close to the promised land, but yet they're in Egypt. And it's just so true of people that, you know, they're, they're saved, they're, they've got a new walk, they've got a new relationship with the Lord, but they're kind of still hanging in the world. I mean, they can, they can see that other life, but they still want to cling back to their old life. They're just across the border. The problem is, they're in Egypt. <laughs> they're not on the other side. They're on the wrong side of the border. Verse 8. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and Toppenes, saying, Take large stones in your hand and hide them in the sight of the men of Judah, in the clay in the brick courtyard, which is at the entrance to Pharaoh's house in Toppenes, and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and bring Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will set his throne above all these stones that I have hidden, and will spread his royal pavilion over them. When he comes, he shall strike the land of Egypt and deliver to death those appointed for death, and to captivity those appointed for captivity, and to the sword those appointed to the sword. I will kindle a fire in the houses of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captive. And he shall array himself with the land of Egypt as a shepherd puts on his garment, and he shall go out from there in peace. He shall also break the sacred pillars of Beth Shemesh that are in the land of Egypt, and the houses of the gods of the Egyptians he shall burn with fire. In 1886, there was a guy by the name of Sir Flanders, or Flanders Petrie, and he was doing an archaeological dig there in the region of Toppenes, and he uncovered the ruins of a large castle there at ancient Toppenes, and he found, in his words, a great open platform of brickwork. And so, you know, they actually found this, this patio, this pavilion with this brickwork, the very place where Jeremiah hid his stones, or hid those stones there. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar did, in fact, invade Egypt in 568 B.C. In fact, at Tappanese, they found three inscriptions from Nebuchadnezzar that were written there. So this is all historical. This all happened just as the Lord prophesied that it would. Chapter 44, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwell in the land of Egypt, who dwell at Migdal, at Tappanese, at Naph, and in the country of Pathros, saying... I'm going to stop there for a moment. When we get into chapter 44, it appears uh, that some time has elapsed since chapter 43. The Jews are now, they've settled into Egypt. Now they're not only in Toppenese, but they've mentioned these other towns, so they've, they've kind of spread out. They're, 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 they're settling in into the land of Egypt. And uh, now this chapter here is Jeremiah's final prophecy to the people who fled to Egypt. Verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and on all the cities of Judah, and behold, this day they are a desolation, and no one dwells in them because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger, and that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they did not know, they nor you or your fathers. However, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn no incense uh, to other gods. So my fury and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they are wasted and desolate as it is this day. So, so Jeremiah here is reminding them why Judah and Jerusalem are desolate and a waste place. Verse 7, Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman, child and infant, 
out of Judah, leaving none to remain, in that you provoke me to wrath with the work of your hands, burning incense to other gods in the land of Egypt, where you have gone to dwell, that you may cut yourselves off and be a curse and a reproach among all the nations of the earth. Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers, the wickedness of the kings of Judah, the wickedness of their wives, your own wickedness, and the wickedness of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? They have not been humbled to this day, nor have they feared. They have not walked in my law or in my statutes that I set before you and your fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will set my face against you for catastrophe and for cutting off all Judah. And I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt to dwell there, and they shall all be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine. They shall die from the least to the greatest by the sword and by the famine. And they shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach. For I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt, as I have punished Jerusalem by the sword and by famine and by pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to dwell there shall escape or survive, lest they return to the land of Judah, to which they desire to return and dwell. For none shall return except those who escape. Verse 15. Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods... With all the women who stood by, a great multitude, and all the people who dwelt in the land of Egypt and Pathros answered Jeremiah, saying... And so now they're going to respond to Jeremiah and his prophecy. But what fascinates me is the way this verse is worded, because it appears that the wives were taking the lead in the idolatry in Egypt. And the men were aware of it, and they allowed it, and participated in it. The men were no longer spiritual leaders in their home, and they were just allowing the women to do, you know, just to go off in their direction. They were no longer standing up and taking the difficult stand. Verse 16, chapter 44. As for the, this is their, their response to Jeremiah. As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you, but we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings to her as we have done. We and all, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food. We were well off and saw no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by the famine." The worship of the Queen of Heaven was the worship of Semiramis and her child Tammuz. Those were Babylonian deities. The worship of Mary has its origins in the worship of Semiramis. And so this was an ancient Babylonian religion. And here the the people of Egypt, or the people of of Israel, the children of Israel in Egypt, they're saying, we're going to just worship at the the uh, the queen of heaven, and they refer back to the time of the kings in Judah, and what they're basically they're talking about uh, up until the time of Josiah, there those kings had all fallen into idolatry. They were all worship, doing all that pagan uh, worship of these idols, and then Josiah, 
the great reformer. Remember the story? He found the scroll of the, the word of the Lord in the temple, and he read it, and he just wept. And he said, man, we've, we've, got, to, we've got to change. You know? And so he went throughout the land, uh, destroying the, the idols and getting rid of all the idolatry in the land. And they're basically saying, ever since Josiah did that, we've had nothing but trouble. You know, because their nation was on decline at that point. You know, it was good up until that point, And then all these bad things started happening to us. And so basically you're saying, you know, we don't care. We're going back to the old life. It was too hard the other way. Verse 19. The women also said, And when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we make cakes for her to worship her and pour out drink offerings to her without our husband's permission? fascinating. It's just a real indictment here against the husbands. Verse 20, Then Jeremiah spoke to all the people, the men, the women, and all the people who had given him that answer, saying, The incense that you burn in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your princes, and the people of the land, did, did not the Lord remember them? And did not it come into his mind so that he could no longer bear it because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations which you committed? Therefore your land is a desolation, an astonishment, a curse, and without an inhabitant as it is this day. So in other words, he's saying it's because you've worshipped the other gods, because you turned your back on the Lord, that's why all this desolation has happened. Because you have burned incense, and because you have sinned against the Lord, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God, uh, excuse me, and not obeyed the voice of the Lord, or walked in His law, in His statutes, or in His testimonies, therefore this calamity has happened to you as it is this day. Moreover, Jeremiah said to all the people and to all the women, Hear the word of the Lord, all Judah, and who are all in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You and your wives have spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, We will surely keep our vows that we have made to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and pour out our drink offerings to her. You will surely keep your vows and perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, The Lord God lives. Behold, I will watch over them for adversity and not for good. And all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by the famine until there is no end, until there is an end to them. Yet a small number who escape the sword shall return to the land of Egypt, shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, and all the remnants of Judah who have gone to the land of Egypt to dwell there shall know these words, uh, sh- excuse me, shall know whose words will stand, mine or theirs. And this shall be a sign to you, says the Lord, that I will punish you in this place, that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for adversity. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra king of Egypt into the hand of his enemies and into the hand of those who seek his life as I gave Zedekiah king of Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon his enemy who sought his life. And history records that these things happened just as Jeremiah prophesied. We're going to do one more chapter here. I'm not going to try to finish the book of Jeremiah but chapter, this, all, these all fit together into one story. And so we're going to wrap things up here with uh, Jeremiah chapter 45.
This chapter here is God's word to Baruch. Baruch, again, he was Jeremiah's scribe who copied down all the prophecies that Jeremiah received to the Lord. And uh, again, these chapters in Jeremiah are not necessarily in chronological order. So this is the word of the Lord to Baruch, but it was during the time of the reign of King Jehoiakim. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, King Jehoiakim was the king who uh, they, uh, Jeremiah and, uh, had recorded some prophecies and Baruch had written them down and they read them at the temple and some of the men heard it and they said, oh man, the leaders need to hear it, the princes. And so they brought the word of the Lord and read it to the princes and the princes said, the king's got to hear it. So they brought it to the king and read it to the king. The king took a knife, ripped up the words, the scroll, and threw it in the fire. And he said, we need to kill Jeremiah and Baruch. Though, of course, they were in hiding at that point. So this is, uh, this chapter 45, this is the word of the Lord to Baruch during that time when he was in hiding because of Jehoiakim. Baruch apparently was very discouraged at that time, as you can imagine. You know, here you're, you're, you're doing the Lord's will. You're speaking the truth. And nobody wants to receive it. In fact, they want to kill you because of the word of the Lord. And so God had a word personally for Baruch. Because, you know, you think of this. Jeremiah is the main character in, in the book of Jeremiah. And he's the main guy on the scene. And Baruch's just this guy who's ministering alongside and kind of low-key. But you know what? God cares about Baruch just as much as he cares about Jeremiah. And God has a word for Baruch, too. So chapter 45, verse 1. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he had written these words in a book at the instruction of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, Baruch, you said, Woe is me now, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. So you can just get a, just a glimpse into Baruch's heart. Man, he's just discouraged, totally bummed out. Uh, It seems like everything is going against him. Serving the Lord is so hard, and it's costing everything for Baruch to do this. Verse 4, Thus you shall say to him, this is the Lord speaking to Baruch, Thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built, I will break down, and what I have planted, I will pluck up, that is, this whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. For behold, I will bring adversity on all flesh, says the Lord, but I will give your life to you as a prize in all places wherever you go. Baruch was just really bummed out about the situation in the land around him. And God basically says, Baruch, look around you. All these things that you see, they're temporary. They're going to be destroyed. Don't seek after them. Jesus in the New Testament said in Mark eight thirty six. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And I think this is the word here. You know, the Lord speaks to us. In fact, Jesus, again, going back to that parable of the seed and the sower, there's that seed that fell among the thorns. And Jesus said, Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word, and he becomes unfruitful. And so that just is an encouragement to you. You know, I think about our, our life, and, you know, sometimes I think about my life as growing up, and, you know, uh, 20, 30 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, depending on how old you are, you know, it's like th- it was a different life. 
things were different. And you say, well, every generation, things are going to be the same. I think we're in the last generation. I really believe that. And I think the things that sometimes we maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago pursued, you know, careers and all that stuff, um, you know, I'm not saying don't pursue a career or anything, but don't set your heart on those things because those are all temporary. And I think we're finding, and as we've been reading the news about different things that are occurring worldwide, and man, I think things are about to change drastically. And if we have our hearts set on like Baruch, man, we're going to get bummed out. We're going to get, you know, it's going to be tempting to go back into the world when things get tough and things are going to get tough. And so my encouragement to you this morning is to seek the Lord. Don't, you know, stop looking at the world. Stop looking at the things of the world and start looking at the Lord and start thinking about eternity because we're that much closer to eternity than we were even a decade, even a generation ago. I think we're that much closer and so uh, this all happened, this all kind of fits together in these five chapters. Believe it or not, we did five chapters this morning. But uh, the rest of the book of Jeremiah is a bunch of different prophecies to the different nations around uh, Israel. And we'll talk about that, of course, the next time we, we get together to talk about this. But, um, but this is all one basic, one basic story of uh, the people that went into Egypt and uh, basically, except for a few of them, none of them came back into the land of Egypt, or excuse me, into the land of Israel. You know, they tried to escape the tough life, and it was a disaster for them. They disobeyed the voice of the Lord, and so we want to be those that obey the voice of the Lord. And like I said, you don't need to go through me or any other person to seek the Lord's will. You just need to, he's your Lord as well. And so I just want to encourage you this morning in that. Why don't you stand up and let's go Lord in prayer.